The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Welcome to another edition of the Bootleg Football Podcast, Struggle Bus Edition, because it is after 10 at night when we're recording this. We have been riding the Struggle Bus for going on an hour and a half now with technical difficulties and trying to figure out the recording process on top of a very long week for both of us. A lot of grinding tape as we kind of get closer to the NFL draft. So it has been a very long week, a very, very, very long week. We've definitely earned our drinks tonight, but happy to be bringing yet another episode to you guys. Uh, So I'm going to start off the way we always start off, and especially on a day like today. EJ, how are you feeling, and what are you drinking? I'm feeling better because we get to talk about football. I am, like you said, struggling. It's been a very hard week. It's been a very long week. Uh, but this is a great break. It's nice to be able to look at 10 guys that we like in the 2020 draft. We're going to call it 10 gems. We're going to do a defensive edition. Then we're going to do an offensive edition to follow up on that. But these are just 10 guys we like. It isn't the best 10 or our favorite 10 even. It was just 10 guys we liked as we looked at them. So I have a little whiskey and Coke tonight. I am finishing off my Jameson Black Barrel. I didn't really have enough to pour it straight, so... Dropped a little Coke in there and called it good because we needed something to make this week slide away a little bit more quickly. It has not been fun, but I think the conversation is going to be a good one, so I'm looking forward to it. What do you have? Uh, I have a a new addition to my little whiskey collection I just picked up this week. Uh, A little bit of Eagle Rare, which I know is not actually rare, but uh, it's it's my first (laughs) bottle I've ever had. It's always kind of considered uh, like Buffalo Trace's greatest contrib- uh, contribution to humanity because it's a 10-year bourbon uh, that's only like $30, $33, which is outrageous value. And uh, so I- I've never had it before. I picked it up, and man, people were, were not kidding. This thing is absolutely outstanding. Um, you can taste how long it was in the barrel. It's very oak forward. You get a little bit of the classic bourbon vanilla, um, some of the spice on the back end, the barrel spice, but it's, it's a lot more muted, uh, I would say compared to some of the spicier younger bourbons. It's a lot more mellow, but you definitely get a lot of the oak in it. Uh, and it is absolutely phenomenal. I, I don't know why this is less than $40, but it is. 
So if you guys go to your local store and, and you see a bottle of Eagle Rare, highly recommend you pick it up because uh, it makes tough days like this one uh, really feel a lot better. But, you know, I'm, I'm excited to kind of get back into actually talking about the draft. We can get away from free agency for a little while. And I do want to note, yes, I understand the Brandon Cooks trade just happened. Uh, that just happened a few hours ago, actually, from, from us recording this. I don't want to talk about it because I'm a Texans fan that's already been through a lot. And I acknowledge this is awful. This whole offseason's been awful. It's part of the reason why I'm drinking tonight. Because that is... Uh, it is so horrific that I'm just not even going to bother talking about it. Because you all know it's horrific. I don't need to pile on for my own sanity's sake. Um, so I just want to say, as a Texans fan, this is horrible. Uh, I now understand why Eagles fans were so mad at Chip Kelly. Because the same exact thing is happening to Houston. It is terrible to go through, and I cannot wait for this era of Texans football to be over because it is utterly excruciating. Um, and I'll There's leave something that. great about it, though. <laughs> What's that? You know, Brandon Cooks has been traded twice before for a pick, and both times it was a first-round pick. So at least Bob didn't do that. Yeah, probably because he didn't have one to give away. Well, come on. <laughs> you know, you're just taking the silver lining right off the cloud there, Brett. Yeah, I'm no, just you're right. Uh, we talked uh, before the show about the Brandon Cooks trade because uh, I was pretty busy today and didn't hear that it had gone on. Brett filled me in, and there was a small pause, and I just said, well, well, that sucks. And that's <laughs> where we're going to leave it. That sucks, and we're not going to talk about it. We're going to talk about things we want to talk about. We're going to talk about things we like talking about. We're going to talk about great guys in the draft. So, before we get that going, any overall thoughts on the defensive class this year? Because there's been a lot of talk about wide receivers for sure. Uh, the class started off with some strong talk about defensive backs, specifically corners being really strong. As you've started to go through it, you're deeper into it now. What are your overall impressions of the 2020 defensive draft class? Other than edge, I think it's really, really good. Um Again, at, at edge, there's really only kind of two really amazing uh, talents that I think can fit on any team. That's obviously Chase Young and Yitor Gross Matos. I'm higher on Gross Matos than a lot of other people, but uh, I, I just I really believe in him, and I, I think both him and Young are going to be studs. But after them, I think there's a severe drop off in like just pure edge talent. There's some guys that provide edge versatility. You know, your Zach Bonds, your Josh Uche's. I'm going to get into Uche in a little bit. Um, Caleb on chase on, I think is a good, uh, like a, an outside linebacker, like a four, three Sam, like he, he's a, he's a Robin. He's not a Batman. I've used that term quite a bit on the show. Um, there's very few Batmans in this edge class, but at every other position, defensive tackle, linebacker, corner, safety, uh, you know, the kind of the pure nickel category that's emerged over the last decade or so. All of them have just Batmans all over the place. And so it's a really good defensive class outside of that kind of, you know, top tier edge edge group. Um, and it's really versatile. There's tons of versatility. There's tons of speed. And I'm really excited to see where all these guys go, because I, I think a lot of defenses around the league are going to get a lot better in a few weeks. Yeah, and a lot faster. You brought it up. There's a ton of speed, and some of the areas that people have not talked about as much, we're going we're gonna to dive into tonight. I'm going to talk about one of the off-ball linebackers. You are as well. Tons of speed there, and a little bit, 
I'd say sneaky depth. It's not that they're blue chips all over the place. That's not what we're trying to say. But there are a lot of guys that can play, play roles, um, and really bring some juice to defenses. And I think it's the same way when you start looking at safety. You're right about the edge class. There is a, a big plateau right at the top. And then a lot of guys that are going to contribute, but down down the board sort of a way, not a shining star, a plus going right to all pro kind of a way. Uh, defensive tackle is the same way as maybe linebacker where you start digging into it. And there's a lot of different types of talent in the defensive tackle class and some really solid guys in there. Um, I was impressed with the depth as I, I dug in this last weekend, as you know, cause I bombarded you with texts and emails and look at this. <laughs> I went through about nine guys, um, in the defensive tackle class and, and a couple of the defensive ends, just a lot of interesting guys there and guys you can get value down the board with. So it's been a lot of fun to dig in and sort of see where the strengths lie and see where some of those sort of down the board values, third, fourth rounders who could really come in, contribute, maybe even start if your team's a little short. Um, and I think it's going to be, like you said, fun to see where all these guys go, especially on day three and, you know, how they land, where they hit the system. You mentioned nickel as well. And there's just so many nickels in this draft that are really, really good. Tons of them. So, yeah, I think it's, I think it's going to be a fun draft class to look forward to. So, yeah. So we're going to, we're going to kind of go through 10 gems uh, of defense uh, in this class. Again, not everybody's going to be first round picks. Uh, Not all of them are even in our top five or certain position groups, but just guys that we really like uh, especially at their value, where they're likely to go. Ten guys that we think are going to be around the league for a long time. Uh, so we'll kind of go back and forth here. My number one is somebody that I really dug into this past week because I, I kind of saved DB for later, and that's Cal Safety Ashton Davis, who, I mean, I, I got about two games in, and I was like, man, I I think he's better than Xavier McKinney, who's been pegged as kind of like, you know, the the safety one this year or uh, by, a, by a lot of analysts. But everything that McKinney does, I think Ashton Davis can do it and do it better. I mean, he plays single high. He plays in the box. They'll put him in the slot. He's got excellent fluidity and range. Uh, he's physical in the box. He's intelligent. He's experienced. Uh, he's a, an, an all-American hurdler. I mean, he's legitimately one of the best athletes in all of college football and probably going to be one of the best athletes in all the NFL. And to go with, um, you know, instincts and intelligence and physicality and range and ball skills, like he's he's kind of the complete package at safety. And if you watch the Oregon game in particular, I mean, Justin Herbert must have this dude in his nightmares because there wasn't a single throw deep down the field that Davis wasn't all over. I mean, whether it was in the seams, he he picked them off when they were kind of playing a match cover three and he carried number two and undercut it because, again, he's a legit 4-4 guy. And, you know, undercutting a a post from, from sale technique and match cover three is not easy to do. I mean, that's... There's very few safeties even in the, in the pros that can do that. So I think Davis is going to be a stud uh, at the next level. And I, I really love everything I see with him. Yeah, it's interesting you bring him up because I just watched him, finished watching him last night, started watching him the night before. I'd seen him in, uh, again, film before this. But when I study a player, I study just that player. I'm, I'm not one of those guys 
that can watch an entire defense and pick out three or four great performances on every play. I focus on one guy, and that's how it works best for me. So I did my focus work on Ashton Davis um, two, three days ago, and uh, knew he was fast, knew he was really intelligent, um, knew he was very experienced, uh, thought he was pretty physical, but got to see some ways that he's physical on the field. Like you said, he doesn't just play single high. He's got speed. He's got range. Definitely has instincts. He's calling the defense for Cal in the back end and getting people aligned. Um, that didn't always go perfectly, but I'm not exactly sure that was his fault. But we both saw it. There were definitely times when the Cal defense got burned. Um, but where was your? What were your favorite things? What was the sort of top skill? If you had to say like being in the box, blitzing, uh, run stop. Uh, man coverage, zone coverage. Like, if you had to pick out of those four or five things, like, where did you think he was the best? Like, just excelled? Um, I would probably say deep, where he can just kind of keep his eyes on the quarterback and, and just kind of wait for a shot and then use his speed to just go absolutely obliterate whoever's on the receiving end of it. Yeah, my favorite thing about Davis watching him was largely deep i would say medium to deep but man coverage and he is so fast and he is so fluid he doesn't fear anybody he's not a guy that's going to gamble or bail early in fact sometimes he doesn't even sort of turn until people get by because he knows he can just turn around and run with them like literally run right next to them in their hip pocket 15 20 25 yards downfield he's got his hand on the guy and he looks like he's kind of loping He's not even opened up. And the more I saw that, the more I thought, huh. And you may not like this, but this is my theory. I told you I was going to hold the theory till the pod. Hmm. Would you play Ashton Davis at corner? I mean, he could. <laughs> He's a legit 4-4 guy. He plays with physicality. He's got good hips because remember, you can't be an all-American hurdler unless you've got really good hips. <laughs> no, he's so, super fluid. That's super the thing fluid. Is, he's big. He's over six foot. He's over two hundred pounds. He runs like a deer. He's thick though. He's thicker than a lot of corners, but he, but he, but he's just as fast. So right. So I mean, you've got a you've got a big physical guy that's really smart, can play press, could play trail easily. Um, understands what the defense is doing and could play against any kind of receiver on the outside could play against little quick guys could play against big guys who are strong want to get off the jam he's got all that and i think he'd be really good because again those were the the plays where he shined he does all those things and it was really cool to see his versatility see that he was down near the line not just occasionally he's a good blitzer he's actually his timing on the blitz is pretty nice he brings some physicality. He's not a great tackler. He's a great He's okay. hitter. He's a great hitter, but I yeah. watched the Arizona State game first, and he missed three or four tackles handily. Like he'll, just, he'll get broken mm, down in space. He's better if he just doesn't stop moving. <laughs> right. No, you know? I fully agree. When he waits, he just he can get on one foot or the other and then and flail, really. Yeah. But how many corners do you know that aren't great tacklers. There's a few in this draft that have that reputation, but I think you could take Ashton Davis with his size, speed, physicality, 
and awareness of what the quarterback's doing and play him at outside corner. And I don't know actually why you wouldn't. You know what would be interesting? The the Bills don't have a first-round pick anymore because they gave it up for Stephon Diggs. But if they did, you know, they're, they're pretty set at safety for now. Yep. But the system that they run, which is predominantly zone, they run a lot of cover two. Uh, which in their in their style of cover two, you know, the corners are pressing and then sagging off. And with his speed, explosiveness, physicality, intelligence, him playing corner opposite Trey White, specifically in that system, I think you're right. Like, that could work. I doubt he slips to their pick in round two. In fact, I would be stunned if he did. But if he did... And they took him, and they, they just wanted to get him on the field because they already have Hyde and Poyer, one of the best safety duos in the league. But if they just wanted to get him on the field, that, I mean, schematically speaking, I think you're right. That could work. And the other thing is, as we move to a more sort of, everybody's talking about it, positionless defense, right? You start him at boundary corner. You know, his guy floats inside. Now he's in the slot, and you bring him on the blitz. He's got the physicality to do it. He's very quick. He times it well. He had several hurries in the ASU game coming off the edge, not yeah. only from right at the line, but also from the second level, kind of like the linebacker level where he was sort of sitting, looking a little bit like a nickel. Maybe they flexed out their tight end. He'd stand there and just bah, come through the gap, and he comes through so quickly because he's got burst. You could do a lot with him, and it wouldn't have to be traditional sort of boundary corner, but he could play boundary corner. He runs that way. He turns that way. He uses his hands on receivers that way. And I, the more I thought about it, the more I thought, man, like, why would you not maximize his value and put him, you know, on really good receivers? Because down the field, he is right next to those guys. Yeah. I mean, 4-4 four, four is 4-4. Four, four. <laughs> so and like you said, you're not wrong it, about that. straight line speed's one thing, but his ability to turn, the looseness in his hips, how fluid he is downfield, moving, cutting, stopping. He's a tremendous athlete and he is never very far. Like, I don't remember a single down where it wasn't a busted coverage where he was you know where he knew which guy he had he stayed on the guy where he was more than like literally arm's length away from the guy nobody runs by him yeah I mean I I watched five games of him and I can't really think of one either Mm -mm. you know where it's like every like would he technically be beat maybe but I mean there's no there's no throws against him that aren't super tight window you know he's he's never going to give you anything easy which I mean, if you have a secondary full of guys that aren't going to give you easy throws, you know, that's going to add up to being a pretty damn good defense. So I'm yeah, right there so that's with my, you. That's my wild hair theory about Davis. I, I really liked what I saw on tape. Um, I wasn't wild about his tackling, but versatility, alignment-wise, smarts, his ability to run with people deep, which is where people are really talking about Ashton Davis in that deep third. Um, I don't want to say it's unmatched because I haven't finished the rest of the class, but it's got to be top two or three for sure i would be stunned if anybody <laughs> other than maybe delpit uh is is matching him in, in a in a straight up foot race I, I guess if you consider simmons a safety but i i don't but yeah um anyway who's your first guy who's your your first of 10 gems my first guy is a guy that we actually watched together for the first time justin blacklock at tc yeah and yeah. we did when i was down at your place about a month ago a little more five weeks ago now um, we stayed up late one of the nights. I don't remember which night it was, but we just kind of OD'd on DT tape. We just kind of sat on the couch and broke open the whiskey and went through probably 
you know, it was a combination of highlights and game film. And we probably went through seven or eight guys. We just watched a whole bunch of DTs because we hadn't, we hadn't really dug into the DT class. And the film I saw of Blacklock at that point, I thought he was good. He, I mean, there's definitely flashes, but I think we watched Justin Matabuke from Texas A&M right after him. And I actually came away from that night thinking, oh, those are two guys that I'm going to have to dig into because I really think they're pretty similar. And this last weekend, again, I dug back into the DTs and did my individual work and watched Matabuke first and then came back to Blacklock. And Blacklock really blew me away on the second viewing. And this will happen sometimes. You, you see a guy the first time and you either think, oh, man, he's amazing or, oh, he's a dog or eh, he's kind of in the middle. And you go back a second time and your opinion really changes because you watch different games or you concentrated on him, whereas you were watching somebody else the first time whatever um my second viewing of justin blacklock this weekend uh i watched him versus smu and then versus purdue and he's got everything he is not Matabuke. <laughs> Matabuke <laughs> is a good player a good solid player this is not anything against justin um or uh against Matabuke, but uh blacklock is really solid very quick adds pass rush holds up against the double He's built like a block. He's very square. Um, plenty of rushes where he pushed the center straight back into the QB. Great penetration. Uh, draws holds. Still grabs the running back even though he's getting held. He is just, he looks like a difference maker. I actually moved him on second viewing because I'd done Gallimore the day before, Neville Gallimore from Oklahoma. And I like Gallimore. I had Gallimore as my third DT. I moved Blacklock ab above him. And it's really close. And Neville's a great athlete, very fast, uh, pretty fluid in his size, former basketball player. But Blacklock holds the double much better, uh, plays the run very, very cleanly, and I think adds more pass rush more often. There are wow pass rushes from Gallimore, but they're fewer and farther between. Blacklock did something on almost every play, run or pass. Uh, in almost both games and it, there's even a, a section in the Purdue game at the end um, he's driving a double backwards it's about 426 in the cut up of him versus Purdue and he's got a double and he's actually moving them like not just holding them at the line of scrimmage but moving them backwards and you very rarely see that in college people will tell you up and down oh this DT he moves doubles mm. No, he doesn't. <laughs> Very few DTs in college move a double. So. What, what fascinates me with him is he's only 290, mm -hmm. but he plays a lot. Like, I, I don't know where that power comes from in 290, but pound for pound, he's one of the stronger defensive linemen in this class because for a guy, even though he is built super squatty, so he's got a leverage advantage, still, you don't see 290 pounds being able to kind of anchor turn and take on a double from freaking Oklahoma, you know, like that's, yep. that's quality, that's quality offensive linemen are, are, yeah. And people will say, Oh, SMU and Purdue, they don't have the best lines. Well, I understand that, but they're not bad either. And you see him do things like, uh, again, early in the Purdue tape, he strings an outside zone run all the way to the outside, plays through the trash the whole time and, and drags the RB down for, it's either no gain or maybe one yard. And when you see that kind of agility and ability out of a guy with that much power and he's getting to the boundary and dropping guys, that's, 
that's rare ability. So I came away really impressed with Blacklock on the second viewing. First viewing, I thought, yeah, it's a good player. Um, you know, a lot of people could use him. And second viewing, I thought, whoa, this guy can be a difference maker. Um, if he ends up in the right system, I mean, th- there's a lot of systems he would fit in because he's a very talented player. But I think about him like, oh, maybe on the outside edge in Pittsburgh. Ooh. Yeah. I mean, like it's not him, him rotating of... with Tuit and Hayward, keeping them all yep. fresh. Yeah, like Tuit. Like basically playing the Tuit role. That's the thing is they have a ton of talent there. They don't need him. But again, what Pittsburgh asks its sort of outside heavy player to do, he can do. Yeah. And it's that kind of a role. Now, people say, oh, is that the best fit? I don't think it's the best fit. Um, it's certainly what I thought about when I was watching him. But, you know, could he go to Seattle? Right. If Clowney leaves and play the heavy edge, right, with what Seattle asks that the former Michael Bennett role to do. Right. Yep. He sure could. Uh, I'm going to make you crap your pants right now. Oh, please don't. I just changed. They they don't (laughs) technically need him this year, but they might in a couple. And he fits perfectly for what they love. Baltimore. Oh, don't. Don't I get angry when we talk about people going to Baltimore? I saw a mock draft the other day where Zach Bond went to Baltimore, and I was like, "Of course he does," because he because it's such a Ravens pick of like, yeah, right, we don't we don't need him. That's but... a Ravens guy, <laughs> right? No, Blacklock would crush in their system. Like uh, again, Brockers was supposed to be going to Baltimore. Uh, Brockers and Blacklock not the same player, but um, you know they've got a ton of talent on that defensive line. They always seem to rotate guys through or get guys. Um, whether it's up high or in the middle rounds who are just that strong, tough, hold the edge and flash, and then usually end up getting bigger contracts elsewhere and then sort of not producing because guess what? They didn't go to the Ravens system. They came from the Ravens system. So could totally see it. Yeah. God, I, I really love that fit because now you're putting, okay, just imagine a third down of Calais Campbell, Matt Judon, Blacklock, all right you next think to Judon's each other. Gonna stay? I don't. I don't think they're gonna. Cause just because you know how physicals are so tied into trades right it's now, true. and yeah, nobody can yeah. give a physical. I really thought Judon was gonna leave, and I still think he might. Actually, I, I if I had to put sort of over under, it would be like fifty five leaves, forty five stays. Um, I still think he. It's really hard to get talent, and again, we just talked about at the top of the podcast that this draft is not dripping in edge talent, and a guy that good is out there. Somebody's going to get tempted. Somebody's going to say, you know, do I pick somebody in the, you know, second round, or do I send that second rounder with something else to to Baltimore to get Matt Judon? Because I think the medical difficulties are also why uh, Yannick hasn't been traded yet. Yeah, and and Clowney hasn't found more than yeah. thirteen. Which is obscene, but we don't yeah. we don't need to talk about that. Who's your second? Uh, my second. Let me look at the list because I totally forgot. Oh, speaking of Big Twelve defensive players, Kenneth Murray. Uh, now I want to specify here: when you draft Kenneth Murray, you're really drafting a guy that you trust your linebacker coach to get the most out of. Mm-hmm. Um, we we had a discussion a few weeks ago where it's like, man, we've seen this before. And it's mm-hmm. Tremaine Edmonds, where yep, unbelievable athlete, but didn't really know what he was doing. Mm-hmm. And and Kenneth Murray is that kind of guy where it's like he'll make 
he'll make plays where he runs down a toss to the edge that very few human beings can get to. You know, if he's starting like 10 yards behind the running back and he still turns on the jets and gets to the corner and meets him before the sticks. And you're like, Oh my God, that's a, that's a rare linebacker. And then the next two plays, he'll take the cheese and and jump into the wrong gap. And he's always moving forward. He's never like scraping with the run. He's always going forward, always getting caught in the trash. And sometimes he's right. And sometimes he's wrong, but he doesn't actually read. He's more of a guesser. Yeah, no, he doesn't read. And my thing about Murray that drives me batty because, again, his physical skills, I don't want to say unparalleled because that's not true. Even in this draft, there's there's linebackers who are, um, I would say, as talented physically. But he is tremendously talented physically as a linebacker. And when it works, when it all lines up, when he guesses right, it is a jaw-dropping. It is like, did you just see that? And that reminds me very much of Tremaine Edmonds. And I was really scared of Edmonds coming out because his highlights were amazing. His tape was terrible. And it was because he guessed. And when he guessed right, the world blew up. I mean, it was a five-yard tackle for loss where he almost grabbed the handoff and ran for touchdown. I mean, but you really hope that he went to the right system. And he did. He ended up in Buffalo. And he has gotten tremendously better, faster. And he's starting to realize all that athletic potential with reads, with keys, um, all the things he didn't have. He was also tremendously young coming out of college. Murray is young, but not that young. And you really have to hope that he ends up in the very same system. Speaking of that mock draft, I saw you, you know who they got in the second round? Who? <laughs> Murray. Oh, God. <laughs> yep. And Zach Bond in the first and Murray in the second. I was like, oh, oh, God, they could do it, too. Because, again, he could play for them on the inside. He could play for a lot of people on the inside. But you got to trust your specifically linebackers coach to be able to bring him along to play fundamental football and stop guessing. And the one thing that drives me batty about Murray is when he's engaged with a blocker, his head's down, he loses the ball. As soon as he is on somebody, he has no idea where the ball is. The guy could go right by him and he wouldn't even turn. He's just pushing and he's got it. That's one thing. It's like corners that don't get their head around, right? Yeah linebackers that as soon as they engage with somebody, because look, you're playing linebacker, you're going to engage with somebody on almost every play. You cannot lose sight of the ball. Um, And one of the guys I'm going to talk about later is the exact opposite of that. And that's one of the things I love about him. But Murray just, he's a meteor and boy, as a football fan, you just have to hope he goes to a place with a disciplined linebackers coach that can get him on the program. Where I really want him to go is Denver. Because Vic Fangio is oh, yeah. literally the best linebacker coach in the history of the game ever. You look at his resume of linebackers that he's coached, it is unbelievable. I mean, Hall of Famers all over the place. And he Alexander Johnson had a really good year last year. Uh, I think he's going to be the future there. Um, but I think they still need another guy to play with him. And I think Murray, it's unlikely that he'll he'll go in the mid first round where where Denver picks. But if he slips into the mid second and they pick him up solely because they have Vic Fangio, who I think can groom him, that is the best case scenario both for Murray and I think for the Broncos because it gives them even more speed at the linebacker position. Uh, and it's the best case scenario for Murray because I think he'll just become a better player in that environment. 
Yeah, and best case for football fans, really. If you like good football, I mean, you know, if you are a fan of a team that plays against the Broncos twice a year, you might not like that fit. But for everybody else, it's it is it's one of the things that people don't generally understand, or I, I find that people I talk to don't generally understand about this. They think I'm rooting for people to fail if I have an average grade on them, or I or I say they're not, you know, tremendous or a first round talent. They think I want them to fail, and the bottom line is I don't want anybody to fail. I want all of these guys, all three or 400 of these guys that are going to end up in the league to have awesome careers and surprise the hell out of me. Um, and for that reason, I want Murray to go to a place like Denver or like Baltimore where he can get everything out of him. Because, again, those flashes are so white hot. And you just want to see that on Sunday. You want to see good football. You want to see great players playing to their best ability. And, you know, Murray – could do that, but if he goes to a place where they don't have a plan for him and they just kind of turn him loose as a as a free-roaming hunter, uh, you're going to see a lot of plays where you go, oh, dude, really? Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he needs a strong hand, but he's got so much talent. So, yeah, I'm with you. I, I want him to land in a spot where he can excel. Who is, uh, who's your number two? Because I'm looking at your list here, but I'm curious who your second one you're going to talk about is. Um, I'll talk about Devon Hamilton. I'll stay with my defensive tackles. I'll kind of just go in the levels of the defense here. It's again, there's no ranking or order. He's not my number two. He's not my number two defensive tackle. It's just a guy that I watched, um, and, and have watched several times. Again, I watched him down at your house and was like, wow, he's got, why isn't, why aren't more people talking about him? Um, he's got really good size. He's got surprising size, you know, six, three, I think he's three twenty four. He's a big dude very fluid much more so and this may be because i watched him right after a guy like raekwon davis who is even bigger than him raekwon davis is a giant at alabama um but is not very fleet of foot he is a heavy-footed dude hamilton is not hamilton has uh you know very loose hips for a defensive lineman uh he can you know knock the chop block down in front and hop over very easily he turns and pursues to the outside he hustles uh, pretty strong versus single blocking can move a guy backwards versus double blocking. He's not one of those guys that's just going to anchor and not give any ground, but he's also not going to crumble and end up on the ground. Um, he can hold the double, at least slow it down and plug up the gap. He does that quite a bit, uh, and lets, you know, the other talent around him at OSU come in and make that play. But, um, it's got some pass rush to him when they turn him loose. He could be that sort of penetrating three and at well over 300. That's that's pretty nice ability. He's not slow. Um, good ball awareness. We just talked about ball awareness and gap awareness. He can two gap if he needs to. And when he's one gapping, he's really good at sort of keeping his guy at least on one side so he can come off. He's really quick getting off the block on the inside. Just a really wide sort of diverse skill set for a defensive lineman. And look, he's going to go and probably the – third round i've seen him as low as the fourth in mocks i don't think that's right i think he'll go before that but he this guy could go late second early third that's a value this guy's gonna play for seven eight nine years in the league at a fairly high level and contribute in both phases run and pass right so just feels like not enough people are talking about him there's so many other people in this defensive tackle class and he's not super flashy he doesn't have 
as many sort of white hot highlights, but he has a lot of good plays where he's in the middle of the mix or setting the table for somebody else to make the play. And you need those guys and he can make a play by himself, especially if he's single blocked or they're stupid enough to put somebody small on him. He can get around that guy and, you know, bring pressure to the quarterback pretty quickly. I kind of like the idea of him in Chicago as a rotational guy at first and just kind of learning under Akeem because I think Akeem could do a lot of good for him. And I just I look at who they have behind Akeem and, and Bilal Nichols. And, you know, if your only other competition is Roy Robertson Harris, mm-hmm. I, I think well, he could get a lot Nick of snaps Williams, there. Right? Yeah, Nick it was. Williams had a really good year and he left. And Hamilton could sort of take Williams' snaps almost verbatim, right? You could just bring in Hamilton as the rotational guy like they did with Nick Williams behind all Nichols, who's going to come in healthy this year, and I think Nichols is probably the starter if he does, especially because he's a two-year pro now, he's experienced. But uh, Hamilton in that rotation would make them, you know, that would be a very, uh, that'd be, there'd be a lot of pop in that rotation, put it that way. Hamilton is, is a guy that most people say, oh, he's, you know, he's rotational, he's depth. Eh, he doesn't look like rotational depth when you look at him on film. He looks like a guy that could start. So yeah, again, for a year or two, come in, play up and down the line, um, spell Hicks on one side, a spell Nichols on the other side, pick up a lot of snaps, come in on third down for sure. Because again, you can move, you've got some pass rush. There's some DTs in, in this class that really don't have any pass rush and he's not one of them. So yeah, I, I like that fit a lot. Plus I just, I think Akeem, he has the best fork move, I think in the league where he just grabs your wrist and just lifts it up and just mm-hmm. completely exposes your chest, and then he just pushes Bye. you back. <laughs> I, I want Hamilton to learn that, because I think he could be really, really good if he just adds a couple extra moves uh, and just kind of let that power shine. So, again, he'll probably start out as a rotational player wherever he ends up. Again, he also conveniently fits Baltimore. They're going to come up a lot. Um, but he's going to be one of those guys where he's a rotational guy, and then he'll sign a big contract somewhere and start and then be and a, a really good starter for, you know, probably, like you said, eight, nine, ten years in the league. Yeah, Hamilton's one of those guys I don't want to end up with another team in the division I root for, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's when somebody else, like the Lions draft that guy or the Vikings draft that guy, Zimmer gets his hands on him, I'm like, damn it. <laughs> you know, I'm just, I'm not going to be pleased if that happens. It could very well happen, but yeah, if he ends up, you know, God forbid in Green Bay, I'm just going to be upset because he's a very easy quality player. Speaking of guys, I absolutely do not want to end up in the AFC South. Uh, Josh Uche from Michigan is a huge draft crush of mine. He's my third guy. But the thing with Uche you got to know is you need to have a plan when you draft him because he's not a pure edge. He's not a pure off ball. He's kind of a mix of both. You know, if you, if you draft him, you almost kind of want to use him like a, an Anthony Barr type where you play him off ball, but you get him involved in the pass rush. Now, Barr, you know, Zimmer, because he runs a lot of that double A gap look, they're mostly sending him up the gut. But I think Uche, you play him off ball at like 4-3 Sam. And we, we saw him live down in the Senior Bowl. He was covering tight ends man-to-man, and there were some good tight ends there, and he was blanketing dudes. He is really fast, really fluid. He can cover, and then you bring him off the edge on third down as just an extra guy with speed, and he gives tackles trouble. You know, even Jedrick Wills from Alabama said that he was the best edge rusher he faced, and he, 
he played against a lot of really good ones, guys that are going to go above Uche in the draft. But he's so explosive. He's so bendy. Is he a complete rusher? No, he doesn't have a whole lot of power. But again, for a 4-3 Sam that you play kind of like uh, like the Broncos use, uh, used Von Miller early in his career when they played a 4-3 at the time, and, and they used him at Sam Backer, and he covered, and he played the run, and then he rushed off the edge on third down. You, you play Uche like that, again, you have to have a plan for him, but he can be remarkably productive. So I want him nowhere near the AFC South because I really hope that uh, they wouldn't figure out that he that he can be used like that because he could be a problem for really any offense. Yeah, I agree. He's a little bit undersized. He's very fast. <clears throat> if you're watching his tape, you'll see him end up covering people step for step, 20 yards downfield, like down the seam. KJ Hamler. Yeah, guys that ran, you know, straight pretty much go or post routes down the seam. And that's rare ability right there. But then you see some of the one-on-one reps versus tackles at the Senior Bowl. And he is, you know, cornering like Mighty Mouse. He's got his, he's got his elbow practically hitting the turf. Uh, great Ben, great lean, just getting around and under guys very, very fast. Um, again, like you said, not a power rusher, not going to have a strong inside counter. If he gets a tackle that really gets his hands on him, he's probably done. Um, but he's so quick, he's hard to get his hands on. And the, the role I keep thinking of is him thinking of him in is, uh, like the old Detroit, not the Matt Patricia Detroit, but the old Detroit wide nine. Oh, right. It's just, it's just go hunt. Yeah, you get really far outside, and the tackle's looking at him the whole time, right? Tackle's holding there in his set, getting ready, and he sees Uche five, six yards outside of him, and he knows what he's going to do, right? But he's he's thinking he's already pulling before the snap, right? He's just like, I got to get out there because I got to beat him to the spot, and that leaves the sort of inside shoulder wide for the you know who's ever inside, whether it's a three or a five, depending on how they line up. If you get that guy out there really in space in the gap, that wide nine, and even if you fake the blitz, right, have him go two steps hard and then you know drop back and cover the tight end in the short zone because he could do it. Um, that's going to cause problems. Hmm. Well, I'm pretty sure Jim Schwartz still. Uh, I mean, I don't think Jim Washburn's there, but. Uh, Jim Schwartz does on third down kind of pushes ends out every now and then. So mm-hmm. if they're, if they're looking for a guy with just pure explosiveness and speed to add to the rotation, which we know how he always does, man, I, I kind of like that fit in Philly, especially cause he's not, he's not going to go early, but no, and he doesn't have to be the guy in Philly. And I think any place, if that's the thing with Uche is if you draft him, early you know if he if you make him into a first rounder and you put that label on him he's going to be just like floyd right he's gonna be like leonard floyd everybody's gonna he's got to get 10 sacks or he's worthless and floyd's very much the same he's bigger he's not as fast but in terms of his versatility right his ability to go forwards his ability to go backwards his ability to play wide to cover to rush right uche is kind of the same way and if you push him up into the first round say in the mid-20s or something everybody thinks he's got to be a 10 sack guy or he's worthless if he goes to a place like philly in the second they've got a great defensive line he doesn't have to be the guy he can be you know the he can be the can opener on third down and get seven or eight sacks as a rookie and everybody in philly will love him so well here um, here's my thought their outside linebackers right now are nathan gary and duke riley 
Mm-hmm. And, and I guess Jatavis Brown is competing for a spot too. He can beat all of them out for that role. Oh yeah. And then also rush from from a wide nine on third down because why not? Yeah, like, no, I would I, that you, like you said, plan is going to be key for him because um, he he just has a really interesting skill set. He doesn't play like he looks. <laughs> if yeah. that makes any sense, it, the, yeah. you know, the performance doesn't necessarily match the package, but uh, there's a lot of performance there if you know how to unlock it. Hundred um, percent. We talked about Kenneth Murray and the the rawness of Kenneth Murray before. The third guy on your list is probably the opposite of Murray in almost every conceivable way. Why don't you talk a little bit about Logan Wilson? Yeah, I really like Logan Wilson, linebacker from Wyoming. And if you're not familiar with him, you should get familiar with him. He's probably the fourth best linebacker, inside linebacker in this class, depending on who you count in that inside linebacker class. Um, Very modern linebacker. And you might look at Wyoming and go, modern? There's nothing modern about Wyoming. He's a cowboy, right? No, he's not. He's fluid in zone, flips his hips very well, great in pass coverage. Shows some power on the blitz, good speed when he opens and runs. He can run with people. He is a coverage linebacker. And, you know, one of my favorite things about him, he is a true linebacker in addition to that, right? He's an assignment sound player, uses his hands really well to stay unlocked from blockers, right? He can disengage at will. Um, His reads are good. His eyes are great. When he's engaged with guys, he still knows where the ball is. He's working back towards it. He's freeing himself up. He's filling the other gap. Um, Moves with anticipations on the throw. Um, Just very capable with his speed and coverage ability of playing like the middle of a Tampa 2. At the same time, next play comes in and smashes the fullback on the lead block, right? Because he knew it had to be done. Got there early made sure he eliminated the angle, basically stymied that guy in the backfield so his teammates could clean up the running back. Just a very good all-around linebacker. Um, Few bad habits, but they're mostly coachable. Uh, Occasionally leaves his feet on the rush, um, but that can be coached up pretty quickly. And I don't think he's at his ceiling. That's the other thing I really like about him is he looks like a guy that's hungry for coaching. I think he can still improve with quality coaching. So, again, all those great linebacker coaches we talked about earlier. Um, if he ends up with one of those, he could be a great, great physical skills, speed, change of direction, power, and his eyes are just so good. He's rarely in the wrong place. And if you combine those, if you combine the sort of physical ability to get there in a hurry and not having to be very far away to start with, you get linebackers who are terribly, terribly effective. So I love the mix that Logan Wilson brings. Yeah. uh, I personally have not watched him yet. There's still a lot of linebackers I have to get to, and he's one of them. So I unfortunately cannot comment too heavily on him yet. But for you, since you have watched him, if there's one team that you think he fits as like a day one starter, who's your team? Ooh. Uh, Oh. Wow. First one that came to mind you're highly familiar with. And again, they don't need him, but they just lost a guy who's pretty good. <laughs> Be Who? big shoes to fill. Panthers. Oh, if assuming they pass on Simmons in the first round, of course. Oh, sure. I mean, yeah. it, it's none of these predictions, just to clear it up for all the listeners. Uh, these aren't predictions of where we think they'll end up. This is just sort of hey, what does he bring? What do they run? Um, You know, does he fit that system? Does he fit the coaching? 
Um, you know, does he fit the mentality? And we don't really know what we sort of know what Matt Rule's mentality is, but we're not really sure in the pros. It's going to change a little bit. It always does making a college to pro transition as a coach, but he, he could bring a lot of what Keekley brought um, as a rookie. Again, this is not the all pro Luke Keekley, you know, six, seven years in the league. This is, you know, coming in, he has a lot of the same skills. Is he as good as Luke Keekley? No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying, he can fill a lot of familiar roles for the Panthers and do it pretty well as a rookie. You know, you mentioned, you mentioned Carolina, Matt rule and the kind of players that Matt rule wants to draft. And, you know, there's always a, a distinct advantage that college coaches have coming into the league. Cause they're very familiar with a lot of these guys that they played against or, or had them play for them. Um, and so they know a lot of these prospects better than most of the league. And so when I think about, okay, if I was Matt Rule, who would I want to draft to start on my defense year one? How about mm. a corner from my conference who gave my amazing receiver, Denzel Mims, all he could handle, who gave Jalen Rager all he could handle, who gave Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson all they could handle, who wasn't invited to the combine for God knows what reason. <laughs> who dominated at the East-West Shrine Bowl, who just had a pro day that was good enough, not amazing. So again, he's not going to go early. But when you look at his tape, when you look at his production, there are very few corners that I think fit what Matt Rule wants in his secondary than Parnell Motley from uh, Oklahoma, who's my fourth guy. And when you watch him, again, that he went through a murderer's row of receivers this year. Yep, and I would dis- say straight pro level receivers. I mean, he he faced a pro schedule <laughs> in terms yeah, of wide much. receivers, and yet again, out of Denzel Mims, Jalen Rager, Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, on top of eight or nine other games that he played in, he only allowed three catches of twenty plus yards the entire season, all year. Only forty three percent of the targets, and people threw at him a lot. They threw at him almost sixty times. He only allowed 43% of those catches. He is a straight press corner, length, technique, intelligence, eye discipline. People always like to throw out the Richard Sherman comp for any corner that, that plays press and has length. But with him, because of the intelligence that he plays with, because of the eye discipline that he plays with, he's a young corner that actually turns his head when the ball's in the air, which I feel like is a freaking rarity at this point. <laughs> it's about... A third or a quarter. I would say quarter. I, that, I feel much more you know, comfortable with quarter. He runs four or five flat. He's three cones, seven twenty. Like he's not a great athlete, but he just knows the position. And so all these receivers that are great athletes that run in the four threes that jump forty inches, they can't get free because his hands are always in the right spot. His eyes are looking at the right thing. And he trusts that, okay, the quarterback has to get the ball out in two and a half seconds anyway. I got Neville Gallimore in front of me. I got Kenneth Murray in front of me. Like, quarterback's not going to be sitting in the pocket all day. I just need to be good for three seconds, and I'm fine. And he gets that. So at two and a half seconds, he's turning his head. The ball's coming. He sees a back shoulder fade because the quarterback has to get it out early. He stops. He bats it away. Did that against Jamar Chase. And it's like, okay, this this dude just understands the position. He understands defense. He understands how receivers are trying to beat him. He's so smart. He's so technically sound. I love everything about him. And the good thing is, he's going to go on day three because nobody's paying attention to him. But he fits 
what the Panthers need at corner so well. Yeah, it was funny you texted me about him when you were watching him, and I was watching Gallimore right after that. Um, and we'd watched Gallimore before, but uh, again, just as you watch a, a cut-up of, of somebody, like you're like, in the back of your mind, you're like, oh yeah, Brett said Brett said Motley was really good. And sure enough, you know, you watch the plays he shows up on, and one of the things, uh, certainly didn't necessarily see all those things, because again, when I watch a guy, I'm concentrating on the line, especially not even in the same level. It's not like I was watching the Oklahoma safety or something. I was watching a defensive lineman. But, you know, three, four times in that in the games that I was watching, I was like, oh, there he goes. You know, there, there he is doing his thing. One of the things that impressed me about Molly um, is that not only does he have size, because there's a lot of guys in this class that have size um, or more than a few, but they don't know how to use it, right? Big players that play small, small players that play big, you know, the, the opposite of, of a guy like Motley is a guy like Amika Robertson yeah. from – who's tiny he's five nine mm-hmm. and you know you see all these clips of him going after guys that are like six four and just hammering the heck out of them uh, motley is a big guy that plays big right he knows how to be physical he knows how to use his length and his bulk to to really influence wide receivers and by influence that's with air quotes i mean push <laughs> them around you know and and give them a smaller catch window uh Again, like you said, shed that angle, stop short, use that length to really close down the throwing window or get his hand on the ball. Um, I like that about him. And what I like even more is that he's press and he's going to be available on day three. Um, if you get a press corner available on day three that gets his head around, go ahead, throw a pick at him, right? You, you could do a lot worse. I don't really even care if he runs four six, right? Motley runs a four five, but you get a, a long guy that understands press and understands uh, you know, leverage and gets his head around, like, yeah, go ahead, take a shot. That's better than a lot of corners you're going to get out of college. And I I look at his skill set, and just speaking as uh, speaking as somebody who watches a lot of Bears games, mm-hmm. no, I, I mean, he is right up their alley. I mean, yeah, right he'd up there. be a great alley. Prince replacement, right? Yes. And, it's because he's bigger than Prince. Uh, is he as good as Prince right out of the gate? No, but he has, again, the skills to play in that system. And the current defensive coordinator in Chicago is a former defensive backs coach. And Pagano understands how to use defensive backs in a way that best suits them. He is not going to make Kyle Fuller play press every down. He was, you know, not going to try and play, you know, Prince off every down because, again, that's not what they did best. Guy like Motley comes in, he says, "What do you do? I know what you do. I've watched your film. You're a big guy. You understand press. You use the boundary well. You're going to use your length to shut down those throwing windows. Like, hey, come in, do this again. You've got a good pass rush with Mac and Hicks. You only have to keep this together for three, three and a half seconds. Same thing you were doing in college. Look, it's a lot of the same guys you faced in college, right? Mims, Rager." <laughs> Uh, Chase not coming, Jefferson, you know, the whole bit. And, uh, you know, guys he faced who came out last year as well. So, um, And yeah. who does he practice against every day? C.D. Lamb. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? Who is a guy we haven't talked about, but, boy, there's a lot to talk about with him. So, no, Motley is, a, a, I think, a good lower down the board poll um, that is a guy that, again, there's always those guys, you know, third, fourth, fifth round corners come in. Uh, either come in as a third rotational corner or, you know, somebody gets hurt, they step up in year one, year two, and, you know, they play pretty well. They don't allow a lot of big plays. Maybe they're not the highlight corner on their team, but I totally see Motley sort of stepping into that role 
and and playing very well. You kind of have a favorite uh, lesser talked about corner yourself, and it seems like every time we do a mock draft, you're grabbing this guy in the second round for Chicago. Speaking of the Bears, yeah. tell us a little bit about uh, Damon Arnett from OSU. Yeah, well, obviously uh, <laughs> his compatriots are getting all the all the all the press, right? Chase Young and, and Jeff Okuda, um, great great players, and um, you know they're going to pull up a lot of the a lot of the highlights. But when I got to Arnett and I got to watch his tape, um, I was really impressed. He's very good at what a boundary corner needs to be. He's got good size for one. Again, a physical corner uh, can hit the jam. When he misses the jam, he's got the speed to catch up, which is pretty cool. Needs to add a little bit of bulk. He can still get muscled, but uh, that doesn't mean he doesn't try or use his size. He's got very quick feet, super quick hips. His lower half is tremendously smooth, right? I think Akuda is the smoothest DB in this draft, corner or safety almost technically perfect. Like you can watch most of his reps and say, yep, that's teaching tape, right? Arnett is like that on probably 60 or 70% of his routes where he falters is in breaking routes because the OSU defense doesn't ask him to defend those really rigorously, right? If a guy is going to come up and run a, a tight little slant, he's letting that go to the inside. He's letting that go to the safety and Malik Harrison to go clean that up, right? So he doesn't play, inside leverage as well as he does everything else. But what he is responsible for is that 15 to 20 yards into the sideline. And if the route goes there, he is all over it. And Mm. I don't mean handsy all over it. I don't mean, you know, going to draw flags and the pros all over it. He just smothers those things. And he doesn't run one type of coverage. That's my favorite is he varies between press uh, trail, pre-bail, tight man, all that stuff, and is proficient doing it. This is a guy that went back for his year, right? Chris Carter famously said some things about Arnett. Arnett said, fine, I'm going to go back and show you, right? And did. Um, pulls big plays, had a huge pick six, um, and the commentator actually said something about Chris Carter as he was scoring. Um this is a guy that went back and polished his game and it shows he is really, really proficient when he gets behind, uh, he's behind on a fade in the game versus Indiana, beautiful technique where he rips through, plays the hands, dislodges the ball, just a very technically sound corner. And the things that he doesn't do well, I think are very coachable. So that makes him terribly attractive to me. So I'm a lot higher on our net than a lot of folks, but I also know some folks that spend, uh, a ton of time on corners alone. Corners are kind of their specialty, and they're saying very same, similar things about Arnett when they get a chance to watch him, which is, this guy's better than you think. See, I can see why you want him as an Amukamara replacement, because that's literally what Prince did, was I'm going to play outside leverage, I'm going to press you from outside leverage, and if you go inside, that's on you, because Roquan Smith is there and Eddie Jackson's there, so have fun, buddy. <laughs> yeah, and again, it's it's very similar to what you said about Motley in a different way, which is Motley knows what he has and knows what he needs to do and sort of knows that envelope that he needs to play within to be successful. And Arnett is very much that way. Um, yeah, he's, boy, 
when he does it, and the other thing is, I, I said it doesn't play inside leverage very well. Against Indiana, he got victimized on the slant once, maybe twice. And then my favorite part about him, he learned, right? Denies the slant beautifully, just textbook, um, you know, on the third one, right? He was like, fool me once, fine. Oh, you got me again, but I was close. Forget it next time. And he drives inside with good leverage, puts the hand in front. Great play. They called him for DPI, but it was pretty ticky-tacky. It was really, really good coverage. So, again, you're not going to keep getting the same thing on him. He's smart. He's. We talked earlier about another player being experienced, right? Ashton Davis being experienced. Devon Hamilton is experienced. He's played a lot of football in the Big Ten, and it shows. Um, he's, you know, OSU is often talked about as DBU, right? He's, he's holding up that reputation. I mean, we've talked a lot about kind of some lesser-known names. You know, it's the, the Arnett's, the Logan Wilson's, the Parnell Motley's. My fifth guy is a name that everybody at least should have heard of by now because uh, he's going to go in the top 15 picks, almost guaranteed, and that's Javon Kinlaw from South Carolina. Uh, we got to see him up close and personal down in Mobile. Um, our first in-person exposure to him was that remarkable opening press conference that he had um, the day before practices started. And we just kind of look around the room and everybody's like, oh my God, like this, this, this is just an incredible human being, you know? And then you watch him on the field and he's just beating the crap out of everybody with raw power, except for Lloyd Cushenberry, because Lloyd Cushenberry could anchor against a Mack truck, I think at this point. Um, <laughs> but that's kind of what Javon Kinlaw is. You know, he is a human Mack truck. He is unbelievable oh, I power. A, I have a different comp. <laughs> <laughs> Who's your comp? Tasmanian devil. Yeah, because I mean, he just like he doesn't. That's the way he plays. He's a bull in a china shop. Yep, bull and knives. But I mean, you know? it works because if your entire goal on defense is to just absolutely destroy a china shop, well, that's your guy. <laughs> you know, he's he's not he's not always going to do it pretty, but he's still going to end up in the backfield, and he's just so long, so powerful. South Carolina lined him up anything from probably like a five to a nose, depending on the situation. Most of the time it was anywhere between three and three and one. Um, but every now and then you got to see him go up against the center and attack the snap hand and just drive him five yards into the backfield immediately. And you're like, Oh my God, like this is just a different level of power. And I, I love watching Kinlaw because you see what he is now, but you know if he gets with the right defensive line coach that can kind of control the chaos a little bit, get him to rush with a plan, take more advantage of his gifts, and not just be power all the time with the occasional counter swim, uh, counter swim but you know you're attacking half a man to set up a move. You know, four plays later, uh, you know it's you see what he can be and that's what's so exciting about him and he's such he's such an easy guy to root for um but i i think the javon kinlaw that we see in 2020 is going to be a lot different than the javon kinlaw we see in 2023 once he learns how to set up counters once he learns how to really take advantage of leverage to let all that power come out i think he's going to be a tremendous player i think he's going to be a, a fletcher cox type defensive tackle and be around in the league for a long long time yeah, he's got great desire. Uh, he's a very basic player right now. And by basic, I don't mean simple or easy to contain. I mean, he has one speed. He has largely one move, which is I'm going to push you out of the way 
and he can do it because he's just so damn big. Um, we had a, a fun running commentary about Kinlaw because again, we got to see him in street clothes at the opening press conference. And you leaned over to me and said, you know, says he's over 300 pounds. There's no way he's over 300 pounds. Right. And I was like, I don't know if I had to guess, you're like, what would you guess? I was like, I, I'd guess 290, maybe, maybe 295, very muscular guy, six, what six. Yeah. You know, and it just doesn't look like he weighs 300 pounds. So I got to the way in the next morning early and you were still charging your camera stuff. And you said, Hey, I'll be there. Can you start writing down numbers? Yeah, no problem. So you came in and, Oh, sorry, I'm late. And, you know, did you get the numbers? And yeah, it took you about 30 seconds. And you're like, did they weigh Kinlaw? I was like, Brett, they weigh everybody. It's like, what was he? I was like, go ahead, guess. He says, well, you know, cause you said, well, cause you're smiling. I know it's over 300. I said, yup. He said, 305. I was like, nope, 315. You're like, <laughs> yeah there's no way it's not it physically possible possible but he is all of 6'6 315 he plays incredibly hard going forward i watched him versus georgia i only watched one game because we've already seen him in person seen so many highlights of teams playing against south carolina plays he's wrecked but i wanted to go with a line that look has two guys two tackles that are going to go to the nfl uh, traditionally puts out very very good linemen if you're talking about good linemen it's like you know Iowa and Georgia are two really good places to start. And there's a play in the Georgia game. Uh, it's about 4.03 into the cutup. Pure power rush versus the double team. We talked about holding the double team. He's rushing versus the double team because he's interior and they absolutely combo him because they know better. He gets the sack. <laughs> He gets doubled. He I know the play you're talking he about. He gets the sack. It's about 403 into the cutup. Watch it. It's staggering, right? He must get his hands on people first. But if he does, um, you talked about Hicks doing it as a defender, right? If offensive linemen use that move on him and get his hands off them first, he largely gets stuck because, again, it's just push. And there's a lot of push there. But if he's not able to really push with his arms, if he's just kind of got to push with his shoulders or his hips, it's not the same. If he gets his hands on you first, and there's a good chance he'll do that with the wingspan he's got at 6'6", he is really difficult to deal with. Now, his ball vision's not great. He needs some counter moves, but I'm with you. You know, 2021, 2022, he gets with a good defensive line coach and continues to kind of drive and be hungry and improve. There's just so much there. Yeah, it's it's really a limitless ceiling. And there's only three or four guys that we could say that every year where where we're like okay there really is no limit here <laughs> he he's one yeah. of them <laughs> yeah he's again i hope he gets to a place with somebody and he's not hard to coach he's an incredibly coachable guy he approaches this whole thing college football the ability to play in the pros is a gift um had a very difficult upbringing um doesn't take anything for granted and is just <laughs> what did he say when he was like you know what's your strategy or what do you you know what do you, what do you think about how do you think about beating other players I, I heard him at an interview and uh and, he, and the guy's like oh what's your main move and he's like push people out the way and, he, right. and, and the guy follows he's point. like he's like what do you do if that doesn't work and he's like push him out the way anyway <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's his, that's his, yeah, that's, that's Kinlaw. (laughs) And if he develops any kind of nuance to go with it, 
look out. And, I mean, look out now. He still makes plays. He makes a lot of plays versus the run, versus the pass, um, even with his sort of limited technique because he just has so many, so much frame, so many gifts. Um, but if he starts adding some nuance, some better hand usage, uh, some counter moves, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, doubles aren't going to be enough, right? You're, you're going to need three. Speaking of tools, by the way, your your last guy on the list to kind of round out our, our 10 gems on defense for this class. Uh, one of the most impressive athletes at any position in this whole class, and that's Southern Illinois safety Jeremy Chin, who a lot of people have not had a chance to watch because, again, it's Southern Illinois. Uh, but you finally got to dig into his All-22 the last couple of days. What were your first impressions on him? Uh, yeah, speaking of tools, guys, so Jeremy Chin's very large for a safety. He's 6'3", well over 200 pounds. Um, runs very well. I think my favorite uh, factoid about Jeremy Chin is that he is Steve Atwater's nephew. And doesn't that make a lot of sense, right? <laughs> When you start watching Jeremy Chin, you're impressed with, first, the speed. He's very fast. He's fluid, even against lower-level competition, which is always the trouble with trying to rate athletes at a lower level of competition, is the folks they're playing against are typically not going to play in the pros and aren't great height-weight speed guys for the most part. Um, But uh, Chin is special. You can tell that on tape. He runs very fluidly. He is not afraid to hit people. Uh, the very first play of the game against Indiana State, uh, the Sycamores, yes, uh, Larry Bird's alma mater, uh, <laughs> they run a flare, little slot screen, and he comes through the trash downhill hard and just jacks this poor little slot receiver who's probably about five, six, or seven, hits him right in the ribs and knocks him about three yards sideways. Um, yeah, he it's, it's a wow play if it's the first play you're looking at. Um, and... Again, he, he'll play single high. He'll play near the line. He's got plenty of versatility because of his physicality um, and his speed. Uh, <laughs> again, later in that very same tape, the slot wide receiver uh, comes at him and uh, chin, quote unquote, I put in air quotes, bumps him. <laughs> his bump <laughs> is about seven yards deep, but the guy like hits him and stops like bounces off him and stops like there's no more route after that he just runs into him and goes oh it's like oh okay. that's a that's a wall okay <laughs> like i'm not that's it i'm done like what I, you know at that point the play is over um so attacks a lead blocker he's a he's a selfish uh, or selfless player um there's a another play in that game comes up hard on the screen ends up stripping the ball forcing the fumble and recovering it um all by himself so very easy athlete, great range, always looks like he has a little bit of spare throttle left. There are very few plays where you see him open up to the top end. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see how he transitions. Uh, also wanted to mention that we ran a fun little contest. We, the pod has now been listened to in more than 60, that's six zero countries, and can't thank all of you around the globe enough for listening. But um, ran a fun little contest on Twitter uh, asking for their top, like, countries two through six in order or any of the bottom five any two of the bottom five had a bunch of fun interactions with listeners and uh the winners the folks that got the closest um i said hey tell me who you want to see and one of the winners uh shout out to him uh said i want to see jeremy chin i said great let me get his all 22 because i don't have it and rating safeties without all 22 if you've tried to do it is very difficult they're off screen most of the time you just end up guessing so uh got his all 22 for the last couple days dug in 
Unfortunately, the competition wasn't great. Indiana State and UMass. Um, UMass was a tire fire this year. I feel really sorry for any UMass football fans out there that you had to sit through that. But you can see what Chin has. Uh, he's got work to do, but if you put this guy near the line, he's Isaiah Simmons' light in terms of size, tackling ability, speed to get to the play. He doesn't quite have the instincts. His instincts are good, but they're not that good. He does tend to lose track of where the ball is or not get his head turned around enough on things like quarterback runs where he's just focused on the wide receiver. And if he'd gotten his head around, he could have gone and supported the run. But instead, because he's fast, he's 25 yards downfield and he's just kind of out of the play. But very good player, um, was definitely the lead dog on that defense, made a ton of plays, um, yeah, I like Chin a lot. And again, I think the 2021 Chin or the 2022 Chin is going to be much better than what we see in 2020. There will be a bump coming from a small school, but I think he's got the tools to overcome that. Yeah, and you, you kind of mentioned, you know, if you miss out on Simmons, get Chin. And I I like that because, again, because of his size, I think you could put him at linebacker and be totally fine, 100% be fine. I, I would put yeah. him at will. I'd put him at will linebacker yes. and just say, okay, you're, you're shadowing running backs on third down. You're, you're playing some tight ends every now and then if we need you to. You're our matchup guy. You know, we're not expecting you to take on guards that are pulling on power or anything like that. You know, we'll we'll let the defensive tackles and the edges and, and the mic handle all that. Like, you, your one job is clean up runs on the edges and take away their matchup options on third down. You play him at linebacker in that kind of role. I think he could be really, really good. Yeah, and I think he can because, A, he's bigger than some starting linebackers in the league right now, uh, both taller and, and heavier. And the other thing, he's just a good tackler. When he does get there, he doesn't miss. He ends up coming in really hard. A lot of times he will sweep his arm through the legs, and you say, oh, that's an arm tackle. When a guy's 6'3", about 215, and he's running as fast as chin, and you sweep the arm through the legs, the guy's not standing anymore. Right? Yeah, it's like a it's cheetah a tripping a gazelle. <laughs> yeah, it is a decisive tackle. Uh, he doesn't miss when he gets there. He uses his length to wrap um, when he can, when, he, when he's in good position. When he can't, he does that big arm sweep, and guys go down. Um, that's not always going to happen in the pros, but one of the reasons I would feel pretty good about moving him up a level is because he is a solid tackler and he doesn't play like uh, a typical free safety in terms of contact or, um, even some of the boundary corners in this class who shy away from contact. Like it's, you know, not what they want to touch or smell. <laughs> that is yeah. not Chin's game. So moving him up, I think he'd be comfortable with because he likes it. He actually looks like he's sort of bored sometimes in terms of the fact that he just hasn't gotten contact. He's like, come on, man, run something at me. A lot of plays obviously will run away from him uh, and the Southern on the Southern Illinois defense. So um, he, he gets a little hungry for that contact, right? He'll, he'll come in looking for it. So I think he would relish a move like that. Yeah. hundred uh, percent. We, we've talked a lot, a lot of, about a lot of guys today, some big names, some not so big names. Again, these are just kind of our, are 10 favorites throughout the draft, not 10 uh, highest graded defensive players, but just guys that really stood out to us that are going to be phenomenal values throughout day one, two, and three. So we still have a lot more to talk about. Obviously we we have, uh, what is it? Two weeks from today is when the draft is. Um, So we still have our 10 offensive gems to go. And then 
Uh, we're going to be eventually, as soon as we can figure out the technical aspect of it, we're going to be doing a uh, mock draft live stream. We want to do a live stream both before and after the draft on all three days. Again, we're trying to figure out the specifics of that uh, for, for live streaming on the YouTube channel. So keep an eye out for that. As soon as we figure it out, we will. Uh, we're just still in the process. That was part of the reason why we're drinking so heavily tonight is because we're... Struggle bus. <laughs> oh, it's... oh, don't remind me. We it has been pod. a struggle. I want to go to bed and not think about all that. <laughs> but yeah, if anybody is really good with live streaming, especially to YouTube, um, we could use some assistance. That would be great because yes. we want to bring you guys content. Um, we're going to do it one way or another, whether it's quick reaction pods, but we would rather do it live and have you guys be able to interact with chat and send questions. We just think that would be a ton more fun and give you a lot more access to information, uh, in real time. So we're going to bring you as much as we can, um, look for that coverage for sure. Uh, but surely reach out on Twitter. If you've got some experience in, uh, game streaming, Twitch, uh, any kind of live streaming. We would love that because uh, we're both new to it and we want to bring you the content. We want to put it in that format, but um, we're not really good at it. We're finding out so far. Yeah, we're good at watching football and not much else. That's that's our big <laughs> lesson for the week. <laughs> so it's a yeah, good thing our jobs yeah. is watching football because we really couldn't survive doing anything else. <laughs> well, your job's watching football. I got another job, but uh, yeah, it's uh, we're happy to do that for you we're really happy as you can tell to share it we it's the thing we like the most and we'd love to do it and we'd love to do it more and in more formats so if you can help us do that reach out we'd love it yeah so thank you everybody for watching uh i guess this would be listening it's damn near close to midnight so you can tell i'm exhausted at this point but thank you wherever of the 60 countries you are for making the bootleg football podcast part of your weekly routine we greatly appreciate it we will see you soon, same place with our 10 offensive gems as we get ever closer to the actual NFL draft. Only two weeks away, lights at the end of the tunnel, people. Again, thank you for listening, and we'll see you soon. Save on Cox Internet when you add Cox Mobile and get fiber-powered internet at home and unbeatable 5G reliability on the go. So whether you're playing a game at home yes, cool. or attending one live, no! you can do more without spending more. Learn how to save at cox.com slash internet. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial cable. Cox Mobile runs on the network with unbeatable 5G reliability as measured by Ookla LLC in the U.S. to H2023. Results may vary, not an endorsement. Other restrictions apply.